ask you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We've been studying the book of James. Thank you. We've been studying the book of James for quite a while now. I really don't know how long. Uh, But we have been uh, looking. We're all the way into the end of chapter 4. And we'll be going into chapter 5. But probably we'll be going into chapter 5 next week. Probably looking more at this together next week. uh, Because I want to set the the context a little bit again. I may make some references to what we're seeing in chapter 4 and 5, but I want you to see it in its context. Uh, By the way, this evening, uh, we'll continue our study of 2 Timothy, and you'll find when you come back this evening how pertinent uh, what we're seeing in James is to an understanding of being a messenger, a servant of God, uh, working Uh, in the ministry through the local church that God has allowed us the opportunity to minister to others through. You'll see how how these things fit together uh, very, very clearly. More and more, more and more and more, I find that the, the Word of God is very simple. If you'll walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. The primary argument or disagreement or difference that anyone has with someone else concerning the Word of God almost always comes down to preference, comes down to my way, if you understand what I'm saying. Well, I was taught this or I was told this. But if you'll study your Bible, literally, just spend, spend your time. If you'll draw, draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you. And as you realize that God gave you his word so that you can have a deep personal relationship. And I know that sounds so cliche in the age in which we live. A deep personal relationship with God. Yet there really are no other words to use. God's desire is that you not have a surface level relationship with him. But it is God's desire is not that you have a deep understanding of doctrinal Things. If you understand what I'm saying, the, you know, one of the things, everybody in here that was in the military, and I know that everybody that was in the Navy, I'm not sure how the other armed forces do this, but Navy manuals, I mean, we, we, had, a, we had a manual, I was, in, I was in aviation, and, we, and it was called the Bible, that's what they called it. And the idea was everything that we do, we do according to the manuals. You do it this way. Now, the reason that that's significant in, a, in, a, in, a, in an entity as large as the United States Navy is because there are so many commands everywhere. And if we're not all doing things the same way, when you transfer from one command to another, it would take you half of the time that you were there just to learn how that command functioned. So we do everything the same way. And we do. And by the way, the military, for all of its shortcomings, has... has mastered in a large way doing things in a very efficient, orderly, and, 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 and proper functional way in a very real sense. Now, what, I'm, what I mean when I say that, why, why I draw the analogy between these two things is there's only one God. You understand? There's only one Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit rules your life and the Holy Spirit rules my life, 
then we're not going to have to argue or fuss about what his word says. Because he means one thing in his word. Now, when I was a young, I really mean this, when I was a young, and I was saved at the age of 22, I think, 22, 23. When I was saved, I was so grateful to be forgiven. I mean, really, truly, I was humbly broken by the forgiveness of God. I was full of joy. I was full of thanksgiving. I was full of tenderness. It was just wonderful. And I began to seriously read and study my Bible, not going to Bible college, not going to seminary. I just began to really seriously read and study my Bible for the sake of drawing close to God. Well, what I realized was, as you study these things, that you, you find as you have conversation with people about this, that there are other people who seriously study the Word of God. But a lot of Christians don't spend any real time in their Bible. And this is not, spending time in your Bible is not optional as a Christian. It really isn't. That's not what God wants for us. But what I found was this. Those who spent a lot of time in their Bible were looked up to by those who didn't, as those who knew their Bible but it's not about knowing your Bible. It's about knowing your God. Do you understand? Now, let me, let me just show you what this, you know, very clearly. We've been studying this, but go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, toward the end of it. Verse 13. Verse 13. Who is a wise man? And endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation the way he lives his life, a good living of his life. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't brag. Don't don't boast about this. And lie not against the truth. This kind of wisdom, this wisdom, descends not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now, let me stop on this word for just a moment. It is really significant that you understand that God is pure. And what God teaches is pure. And what this means by pure is there's no mixture in it. What I'm, my preaching is not pure preaching. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm fallible. Even if my heart's desire is strongly to preach and teach only what the Bible says, I will still bring my opinion, if you will, from time to time. I mean, I'm not talking about every single sentence or every single message, but what I'm saying is as as an overall tendency in our life, it is hard for us to divorce what God would have for us from from what we want for ourselves, if you understand. And this is the victory that God is working in our lives. But what God himself reveals is first pure. No mixture, okay? So what does, listen, so what does pure truth look like? Let's look at that because that's what he's going to talk about. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, of them that make peace. Do you see how simple that, honestly, do you see how simple that is? 
And if every, and, and there are many of us, and I am so thankful to Pastor Church where this is really genuinely true. There are so many of us who are here in this room this morning who simply say amen to this. It is so wonderful to know that we don't have to fuss and fight and argue over what the Bible teaches or what we should do with our curtains, if you understand what I'm saying. All we have to do is to let God lead us and he will take care of us. Not only will he take care of us, but he'll give us such hearts that we'll be able to actually be helpful to others that we're around. And praise God for that. Amen. So go back now. Just go back for just a moment to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, because we're going to, in James chapter 4 and 5, the reason I want you to see this this morning, and I want you to come, please be with us again next Sunday morning, because I really want you to see James 4, James 4 and 5, some really hard words. God's going to say, go to now, twice, one at the end of James chapter 4, one at the beginning of James chapter 5, because it's the same context, it's the same thing that he's talking about, and he's going to say some really hard things after he says, go to now. He's going to be speaking to a specific kind of person that goes to church, if you understand what I'm saying. A specific kind of person that's involved in religious activity, and he's going to say, you who do this, it is not okay. It is not okay to behave yourself like that. But what I want you to understand is if you will understand the context, you will understand whether God is speaking to you about being inclined in that direction or whether he's trying to rescue you from those who are inclined in that direction. And, and, and to a degree, all of us will be honest and say, well, we're all inclined to selfishness. We're going to find that that's what's going to be the key to this this book is understanding that we're all inclined to selfishness, but God wants to set us all free from that. OK, so let's look at James chapter one, verses one through. Uh, well, really, verse five again, James one through uh, James one, chapter one, verses one through five. Now, let's just look at that for just a moment. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve scribes which are scattered abroad, greeting my brethren. And this is really significant. Hear me. My brethren counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, I don't have time to reteach all of this, but going back to what we saw at the very beginning of this book, this is what happens. The idea here of when it says when you fall into diverse temptation, it doesn't mean to trip and fall. What it means is this. Remember the, uh, the, 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 the man who was traveling from one place to another, and it said that he suddenly fell among thieves. Well, he, didn't, he wasn't walking down the street, tripped on a route, rolled down a hill, stood up, and suddenly there were thieves everywhere. That's not what happened. What happened was he was walking along, living his life, and suddenly he, without realizing, had placed himself in the wrong alley, if you will, and he was surrounded by thieves, and they beat him, and they stole his money. It's, the, it's where God teaches about the Good Samaritan. But that, that phrase, to fall among, is the same phrase in the Greek that we're looking at here, where it says, well, you fall into diverse temptations. So here's what happens. You're a baby Christian. You just were saved. And suddenly everything in your life is different than it was before. Suddenly those things that you used to be friends with, you're not friends with them anymore. And you find out they're certainly not friends with you anymore. And now there is a great deal of trial and temptation in your life while God is giving victory in your life over these things. But here's what the book of James is teaching us. One, God is going to give you victory by pouring out the Hebrews' life, the book of Hebrews, right? That great high priest pouring out a whole new quality of life in your everyday life. But here's what happens. Because what you were like before you were saved and what I was like before I was saved is different. Do you understand? So what God is delivering us from, while it's all selfishness, it is, in interestingly enough, unique 
selfishness. So here's what happens. I want church to be like this because it helps me best when it's that way. Well, you want church to be like this because it helps you best for it to be that way. And what happens is that same selfishness then creeps into the church itself. Let's look at it. It's in, it's in uh, um, uh, verse 13. Verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, now listen to this, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Remember again, because he is pure, so what he gives is pure. So here's what he's saying. If we will humble ourselves and let God work in our lives, while we humble ourselves and let God work in their lives, in each other's lives, we can minister together while God has victory in all of our lives. Amen? Understand that? Go to chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that warn your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is, the enmity, with, is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is the, enmity of God, is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture said in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Do you, honestly, just look up here for a moment. Do you see how simple this is? Do you realize that the only, listen, the only thing that hinders any church from entering into all the will of God for that church is our selfishness? It's, it's that simple. If there were no, listen, hear me, please hear me. Do you have any idea how, and again, I'm not trying to be unkind, but do you have any idea how much beyond the doors that you came in to be in this building, do you have any idea how deep the needs are beyond those doors? And if there's any fussing and fighting in the church, we're of no help to them. Do you understand? Listen, if you're a new creature, if you're born again, praise God. I mean that honestly. I mean, I have no idea. Some people do. There have been, see, we, we've had some people go to be with the Lord recently. We had people go, and they understand things that we don't understand. We've had, we had, you know, Billy's grandson, who's, who's a year old, went to be with the Lord, and he is a mature, heavenly being now. 
He understands everything perfectly. But I see through a glass darkly, and so do you. But what I do see is this. I see Jesus. I see the difference that he has in his life, and I am now seeing the difference that he makes in our lives. And our testimony is this. He is able. Our great high priest, who not only ever lives to make intercession for us, to plead on our behalf, not only does he plead for us, he also empowers us so that we might not walk in the flesh anymore, so that we might not walk in selfishness anymore, so that our conversations would not be me, 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 I, 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 but we would be able to be a help to those that God would have us to be around. Amen? It is wonderful, truly, truly wonderful what God wants to accomplish in our lives. If you go back to the end of, I want you to see this for just a moment. If you go back to the end of Hebrews chapter 13, the end of Hebrews chapter 13, you see at the end of chapter 13, I mean the beginning of chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, the end of the book itself, you know what? Put your ribbon here at chapter 13, go back a little further. Guess where we're going to go? Yes, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1. I know, I know. Then we're gonna let's go back and study Philemon real quick before we go. No, I'm just kidding. It is. It really isn't. It really is significant and important in your life that you understand that when God speaks to you in His Word, He's speaking out of context. In other words, He has context in mind when He's speaking to you. And you cannot open your Bible to a verse, read that verse, and say, "Oh, I'm going to use this verse for such and such." It's not yours to use. Do you understand? You need to receive from God what that verse actually means, and to know what that verse actually means, you need to understand the book that He gives it in. And in order to understand the book that he gives it, you need to read it like it was given. And that is as a letter that you're meant to read from beginning to end. Do you understand? Then you can study your verse if you want to. But too many people pick and choose the verses in their Bible they want to support their thinking. And that is not biblical. Not only is it not biblical, it's deadly dangerous. It's how division, it's how cults are formed. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And John brought this up in the Sunday school hour, but I want to get to a specific point. One of my favorite truths in the Bible God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Boy, I wish you could understand how wonderful the Son is, everybody here. Boy, if he's wonderful to you, praise God that he's wonderful to you. If he's, if he's not wonderful to you, you do not understand why you're here. Because if Jesus is not sweet and precious, awesome, awesome beyond words, then you do not know the Jesus of the Bible. You do not understand how great the Son is and how much the Son is important to you. He changes everything. He changes everything. Christianity as a religion changes nothing. Christ as a Savior changes everything. Spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, speaking of this Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he, our Lord Jesus Christ, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. It is critical for you to understand that if this one has not purged your sins, you still have your sins. Going to church will not remove your sins. Being baptized will not remove your sins. Joining the church will not remove your sins. Tithing and giving faith promise will not remove your sins. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sin. And that's all you need. Truly, all you need is the blood of Christ. He has by himself purged my sins. I think for many of you, you can say honestly, he has by himself purged 
your sins. And thank God for that. Amen. So what help were you to this? And the answer is none. What help was I to you in this? And the answer is, if I was any help at all, it was only in pointing you to the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen? Because the preacher, the church itself, can take away no sin. Only Christ can take away sin. But he has not only taken away sin, and we don't have time to study Hebrews over again. He has not only taken away your sin, he ever liveth to make intercession for you. And he is not only ever living to make intercession for you, now I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Beginning in verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now notice this. Thou the God of peace is the one that's going to make you perfect. The God of peace. Now again, it is really significant. There's some words in this passage that we have spent a great deal of time studying, but I want to repeat them because there are some people who have not heard them, and it always helps to understand them. The word perfect does not mean without flaw. Do you understand? Jesus is perfect in that way. He is perfect in that he is without flaw. You and I are not perfect in that way. The idea of being made perfect here means what? To reach the goal. God has a goal he wants to accomplish in your life and in my life. God has a goal he wants to accomplish in our lives together. And the only way that that can happen is that he make us that way. That he bring us to the place that we reach the goal that God would have for us. And by the way, the same word that is translated perfect here is the same word where that goal is given to us, right? Let's go look at it, right? Doesn't it help us to go see it? So let's go to 1 Timothy. Keep your ribbon here. We'll, We'll get back here. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And again, let me show you this in its context. I really think it helps to be able to see something in its context. So let's just read the verses that come up to it. We're going to look at verse 5, but let's just go ahead and read. It only takes us a second. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Giving, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. So do that. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. The word end, in chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 Timothy, the word end, now the end of the commandment, is the same word, the same Greek root word, that is translated make you perfect, okay? So when God makes you perfect, what he's doing is he's bringing you to the end. He's bringing you to the goal. And what is the goal? And the goal is love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. The world, listen, the world needs Christians who are being brought to the goal. Yes or no? Honestly, does the world, the church needs Christians who are being brought to the goal? Yes or no? Yes? Love, charity, selfless love 
out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. Now go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. That little ribbon thing is really important, isn't it? You move that baby back and forth. You can get all over your Bible quickly. Okay, so the one, this one, the one who, the one, the God of peace is going to bring us to the goal, make you perfect. And what does it say? In every good work. Now, again, the word good here. And I know, I know sometimes people get bored with a Greek lesson. And I'm not trying to, but the word good, two words, right? In, in your Bible, there are two words behind the, in the New Testament that are behind the word good. One of them, one of them is the word that we typically uh, recognize that simply means that you want to be good, not bad. In other words, we had milk. You're not going to care about this probably, but it's a bad picture, but it helps understand. We had milk in our refrigerator. We went on vacation for over a week, right? We had milk in our refrigerator that was good milk when we left. When we got bad, it was no longer good milk anymore, right? Because you know, most of the things, by the way, do you know that most things that have an expiration date don't actually expire on those dates? They actually, if you'll notice, it says best if eaten before. And, and that's because the, the flavor may change a little bit after that. But, but you'll notice that milk doesn't have a best if drunk before date. It has what's called an expiration date because on that date it expires. Amen. And it's no longer good. So that word is often what you see in your Bible. The word that simply means good, not bad. But there's another word and it's the word kalos. And we studied it a great deal in 1 Timothy. And that word actually means beautiful, wonderful, fully Fully great is really the idea. It's such a high and lofty adjective. And what God is saying here is that he make you perfect in every good kalos work. God wants to fill your life with beautiful works. Now think about that. Honestly, think about who you are and think about your life being full of beautiful works. Is that not humbling? Is, by the way, not only is it not humbling, is it not encouraging? Right? I remember, where, where I remember the first time I was reading and God said that he has foreordained good works that I should walk therein. And I, I literally, I, I know I've shared this before, but I literally stopped and laughed out loud because I'd been saved for about a year at that point when I was really studying this passage. And I begin to wonder if I was ever going to do anything right. Right. Because when you're when you're a babe in Christ, you're all excited about being a great servant of God. How, boy, I'm Lord, I'm going to be holy and wonderful. You're going to be so glad I'm on your team. You made a really good choice here when you saved me. And then you, and then and then you get to where the Apostle Paul in, in, in uh, chapter seven of Romans. Oh, wretched man that I am. Right. Why well, to to will is present with me. I still love good things, but how to perform it. I don't find in my flesh. Right. And here's the answer. It's not in your flesh. It's in the spirit. So you're going to have to humble yourself and let the Holy Ghost have, have the ability to change you on the inside to such a tremendous degree that it changes you on the outside. But he is able to do that. That's what he's saying right here, right? That the God of peace make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever. Of course the glory goes to him. Right. Since he's the one that's working it through you. You can't do this without Christ in you. Christ in you, the expectation, the hope of glory and praise God for that. All right. That's enough of Hebrews for today. Let's go back to James, the book that we're studying. James, 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 chapter uh, three, toward the end of James, chapter three again. Now, again, we get back together next week. We should look at James five. Right. Let's, let's at least get there so you guys can see. Yeah, we looked at James, chapter five today. So in James chapter five, verse one, it says, go to now ye rich men, go to now ye rich men. Right. 
So you see this, um, and what you, if you go back to verse 13 of chapter 4, verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into the city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So he says, go to now here. He says, go to now there. And it's all in the context of something that he starts when he starts in verse 11, where he says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Because what he's speaking of this is this. Listen, look at me for just a moment. The church, the church cannot be edified when it has those in it that would speak evil of each other. The church cannot be edified when it has those in it who have their grand plans and schemes and they're going, boy, and I'll tell you what, who was I was talking to about this? I, I never remember who it was. I don't know if he would be comfortable with me. He's here, but I don't know if he'd be comfortable with me saying it. I was talking to somebody yesterday, a young man, young man who's in the Navy. He's a chief in the Navy. He's been doing really well in the Navy. And he was sharing about how, how he has his plans all planned out, how he knows, how he knows what you know, he, he wants to do in his life. And, and God keeps interfering with his plans. And I said, God will continue to interfere with your plans because he wants you to stop having your plans. And I know this. How do I know this? By experience, right? I am OCD. I am type A. I really am. Boy, when I went, I mean, I was an engineer. I was an engineer before God called me into ministry. And I was, boy, I tell you, if you guys had seen the early charts for how we were going to get things done in our church when I first became a pastor, I had it all planned out. Literally, Lord, it's going to be wonderful. Thank you for calling. Again, almost like when he asked me to, when he saved me, he saved me when I was 22. He put me in the ministry, what, when I was 40 something or something like that. You think somewhere between those two times I would have realized, no, we're not going to do it your way now. Ever. We're not ever going to do it your way, Chuck. We're going to do it my way. Amen? Yes? It's wonderful. Go to now, you that think your plans matter in the church. Do you understand? Why do we have any disagreement? Listen, I'm telling you, we have disagreement because you want to do something some way and he or she wants to do it some other way and you get at odds with one another and then one or the other of you comes and talks to me and then whichever one I agree with, if you understand what I'm saying, even though if a pastor does not ever agree, if you understand what I'm saying, he agrees with both of you completely, you know what I'm saying? If you understand what I'm saying, what we want is peace and good and love toward one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you have this go-to now, ye that say, we will do this. The church can't go on. And then it says in uh, verse five, go to now ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries shall come upon you. Now, why does he speak this way to rich people? Now, by the way, we don't have a lot of problem with this in our church. We have a lot of rich people in our church. You understand? Listen, who was a, what, what does it mean when he talks about rich people? You're going to see it in the context. Well, here's what happens. People that, and it's, I don't know why it happens. People that have money somehow think that their opinion is more important than people that don't have money. Because I must be better than you. Look at my money. Not knowing that it is the grace of God that gave you the difference in the money from one person to another. You say, well, that's not really true. I'm just smarter than that person is. Well, if you're smarter than that person, that's still a gift, if you understand. Although if you feel that way about yourself, you're not that smart. You understand? What we don't realize is that God's desire is that every one of us, look, some of you are really tremendously blessed, and I mean that. You know, the, the young people that stood up here and sang, the people, we, have, we have tremendous giftedness in our church family. We really, really do. And, and, that, and for that, we should all be thankful. And we should all let God make use of those gifts for his honor and glory. Amen? But we shouldn't brag or boast about it. 
There should be no strife. Or, and there really isn't. And I thank God that there isn't. There really isn't strife or vainglory or arguing or fussing going on in our church. And I thank God for that. But what God wants us to do is to not only be thankful that that's true, but forbid that it become the reality in our lives. Because I really believe that God wants to continue to bless our church family, that the church would continue to grow, that we'd have more opportunity to minister to others. And when he does that, that we would understand it's unmerited favor that did that. It is the goodness and greatness of God that did that and not our grand scheme and plan. Do you understand? This is what God wants us to understand. We're going to study this as we go forward. Go back to the end of chapter uh, three, though, for just a moment. We're going to be closed. It's time to be done. Ch James chapter three. I want, you to I want you to take this with you as we go into chapter 4 and 5. The ver it's verse 18. Now, we, we looked at the wisdom that is from above. We saw how, now listen, again, you need to measure your wisdom by this statement. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. This is, what, this is what godly wisdom looks like in an individual. Now, and the fruit of righteousness, if your desire is for things to be right, if your desire is for things to be righteous in the way our church does things, then notice this. And the fruit of righteousness, how do you sow that fruit of righteousness? And it's sowed in peace of them that what? Make peace. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. This is what our church needs. This is what every church needs. This is what God wants to accomplish. If, if our church would be full, as God would have it to be, of humble peacemakers, people who recognize in their own hearts that we are all inclined to say the wrong thing, that we are all inclined to think we're going to do it our way, that we're all inclined to think ourselves a little better than somebody else. We're all inclined to this. If we would be honest about this, right, at the end of chapter 3, be honest. Don't lie about this anymore. If you have this in your heart, be honest about it. Don't lie anymore. Be broken. Be humble. Howl. Weep, right? Let God change your life and give you the victory that only he can give. And when he gives that victory, I'll tell you, he'll get all the glory. You'll not brag about it. You'll not boast about it. You'll just be thankful to no longer be the person that you are left to yourself. Amen. And by the way, let me say this. It would be wonderful if after God won this victory in our lives, if we were never that way again. But we are. We are. This corruptible will put on incorruption. Praise God for that. There's a time coming in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. When all of, us are, all of us that are new creatures, all of us who have an inward man that delights in the law of God, just like that will be completely changed. Man, am I looking forward to that. Honestly, I, am, I, there, I say this a lot, but there are two things about heaven that make heaven heaven. One is that Jesus is there. If Jesus is not there, I don't want to go. Amen? Doesn't matter. Golden streets, fruit, all that nonsense, none of it matters without the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And two, my sin's not going. My selfishness is not going. And thank God for that. Because I'll be honest with you, to be in the presence of Christ with your selfishness would not be heaven either. And I am so thankful. So by the way, by the way, all salvation is, is to come to that realization. That's the realization. Salvation is to be saved from your selfishness. 
Salvation is to be saved from your sin. Salvation is to no longer be wrapped up in your thinking, but have the forgiveness of God poured out into your life and your life is completely changed. Amen? That's what God wants to accomplish. The consequence of that is going to heaven and being with him forever. But already, those of you that are born again already have the benefit of him living within you now. There's already peace that passes understanding. There's already victory that you could not make in your own life. And thank God for that. Amen?